All right, we're going to be in John chapter 1 still today. This is going to be a final moment where the gospel writer John records some things about John the Baptist before we turn our attention to directly on Jesus and what he did and said. And I really have come to enjoy the way John handles this transition. Right? As, you, as you look at the life of John the Baptist, like we said last week, he was always pointing to Jesus. It was Jesus who most important. He came to just tell people about Jesus. It wasn't about him. He didn't put the attention on himself. And so as the gospel writer writes, he illustrates this so well in this last moment where we, we focus on John the Baptist before he turns our attention to Jesus. So let's just read together John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 29 through 34. <clears throat> and it begins with the next day. And as you're opening up to this, this is the day after those priests and Levites were questioning John on who he is and why he was, why he was there. Right? So the very next day we read, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And from this moment on, John the Baptist starts to fade away into the background of of John's uh, gospel here. And so as we make this transition, and there's a couple things that I can highlight as we begin to look at this section. You know, you see again how John the Baptist is pointing to Jesus. It's interest, um, interesting to read how um, he didn't really know for sure that Jesus was the one he was pointing to until the Spirit came down. We know that that happened during his baptism. We read in the other Gospels that Jesus came to be baptized, and once he was baptized, the Father spoke and the Spirit came and descended upon Jesus. And that was the moment that clarified or confirmed for John that this was the one that he was pointing to. So this, this moment, what we read about today, where G- John sees Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is probably after the baptism. We read in those other Gospels, he was baptized, he went out into the desert, was tempted for 40 days, and then he returned. So sometime after that return... Here John is, still baptizing. He sees Jesus, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God, there he is. No more was he just generally telling everyone about this Messiah who is coming. He wasn't just preparing the way anymore. Now he was here, and he could see him in the flesh and point to him and say, This is the one. He is the one that you should be paying attention to, the one I want you to follow. And today I want to focus on this this statement that John made about Jesus, who he said Jesus was, because it's an important foundational piece of the gospel. Not only did John give the people of Israel a clue about what Jesus had come to do, he also makes a link between Jesus 
and the covenant God made with the people of Israel all the way back to um, his covenant with Abraham, all the way back to the book of Genesis. And I think that's an important link for us to see how God has been consistent throughout all time. And he has communicated since the beginning of the Bible ways that he was going to provide redemption and salvation for mankind. And all of this helps to show us that Jesus' coming was always part of God's plans. It provides credibility for Jesus' work. He was, he was not coming to take people away from following God. He wasn't there to start something. No. no, he was just fulfilling and continuing the work of God that had been promised long ago. So when Jesus returned, John said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He calls him the Lamb of God. And the question I want to just think about a little bit today is, what does that mean, that he is the Lamb of God? When you think about a lamb, what kind of characteristics come to mind? So look at this lamb up on the screen. How would you describe this lamb? Adorable, yes. Vulnerable, that's a good one, yeah. Fluffy. Yeah. Innocent. That's a very good one, yep. What was that? Lamb chops. Lamb chops. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I'm inviting you to share what you think. Um, but when we think about a lamb today, we often think about a lot of those, those characteristics that we talked about. Adorable, fluffy, sweet, cute, innocent. Right, And those are all true, and those can all be applied in some way to Jesus' character. He was innocent. He was gentle and kind, right? But there's much more to Jesus being the Lamb of God, and especially the Israelites would have connected that phrase, the Lamb of God, with some other things that were really deeply embedded in their culture. Now I want to explore some of those things today. So for one thing, the phrase ought to have reminded them of some of the statements the prophet Isaiah made about the promised Messiah. Here, John the Baptist is telling him that the Messiah is coming, and he calls the Messiah the Lamb of God. And this links directly back to a um, prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. So I'd like to take a look at that um, with you together today in Isaiah 53.6. If you'd like to open up to that, I'll give you a moment to find Isaiah 53. <clears throat> and throughout Isaiah 53, we read several things that um, God spoke through Isaiah about this Savior he would send, this Messiah that the Israelites were looking for. And in verse 6, we read this. He says, I'm sorry, verse 7. I'm going to start in verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, Yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And there's a direct reference to a lamb in there, a lamb being led to slaughter. And so as they think about the Messiah and they think about the Lamb of God, it ought to have triggered something in the Israelites, especially the Israelite leaders who study the prophecies, this idea that the Messiah would come as a lamb being led to slaughter. That was a hint that God was giving about what this Messiah would do. 
how he would give himself up. We also, if you just go back a verse, you see another message about the lamb or sheep. In verse 6, Isaiah 53, 6, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so in that statement, Isaiah declares us all to be like sheep. We have all gone our own way, right? You think about the sheep that wanders off from the flock. That describes each and every one of us in our sin. We've all turned away from God. And yet, what he declares here, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That our sin, that iniquity means sin or, you know, disobedience. We're going to lay that on him, the Messiah. And I, I highlight this passage because it, it says that we're all like sheep. But there's this very one special sheep who would take on our sin. So Jesus is like us. The Messiah would be like us, but he stands out as special in a certain way. He's coming from God. Notice also here that, it, that Isaiah says he would lay on him the iniquity of us all. He doesn't say each of our iniquities. And there's a distinction there. John even makes it. He says, that, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not the sins of each person in the world. And that just emphasizes the fact that Jesus came to take all sin upon himself. The entirety of sin in the world. The entirety of the iniquity of mankind. It's a much bigger thing than each person's personal acts of disobedience. But all the sin, all the brokenness, all the fallenness of the world was being laid on him. But the so the prophet Isaiah was telling the Israelites about a Savior who would come to be like a lamb. He would take the punishment of all upon himself. He would be led away like a lamb to the slaughter. And so when John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, Look, there's the Lamb of God. It's one of the things he was communicating to him, that this lamb is the one that Isaiah was speaking about. Now, the Jews were very familiar with the idea of a sacrificial animal taking on their sin. Early in the history of Israel, when God was leading them through the desert, out of slavery in Egypt, he gave them his law. The laws that they were to live by, the, the sacrificial law for the forgiveness of their sins. Right? At that time, before Jesus came, they still sinned, they still needed God's forgiveness, and God established this practice of the sacrifice of animals, that they would bring the best of their, of their flocks to the Lord and offer them up to him as a sacrifice for the forgiveness. The blood would be shed from those animals to cover over their sins. This was a practice that they, they participated in day after day after day. And you can imagine having that as part of your culture, that you needed to make a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin, might have triggered some thoughts in them about what this lamb was for. Especially since the lamb specifically was part of this Passover that God had established for the Israelites long, long ago. Um, And I don't know how familiar everyone is with that Passover. We hear about it. We talked about it this morning that Jesus was celebrating the Passover. And so I wanted to take a look back at what God established and why he did to make sure we understand the significance of this lamb 
of God that Jesus was. So let's go ahead and turn back to Exodus chapter 12. We went way back toward the beginning of the Bible, Exodus 12. And you may be familiar with a lot of the story, and I know some of this is very familiar with for many of you. Um, the Israelites were being held in slavery in Egypt. He wouldn't let them go. Moses was chosen by God to free, to be used by God to free his people. And God had sent several plagues upon Egypt. And each of them, the Pharaoh had rejected, had hardened his heart and refused to let them go. And then there was this last plague that was coming, the plague of the firstborn, where the firstborn of the Egypts would be put to death by the angel of the Lord for their sin. And so we read in chapter 12 about this Passover. Before it happened, Jesus, or God was warning the Israelites through, through Moses what was about to happen. So let's go ahead and read the beginning of Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of, our, of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for one whole lamb, they must share one with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take from them and you may take them from the sheep or goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. So 10th day of the month, they're to find this sheep and bring it into their home and keep it there until the 14th. Take care of that sheep until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. And they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames and the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over a fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it with your, to your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The, Lord, the blood will be the sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. I'm going to stop there. So this is what God is telling the Israelites to do this to use the blood of the lamb to mark their houses, to protect them, to cover over them. That's why I use that language of the blood covering over our sins. God passed over them. His judgment passed over them because they did this. And God established this as an ongoing memorial for them. It wasn't just that they did this this one time. And... and um, just to go back for a moment, he told them to do this, like roasting the meat over the fire, prepared to go with your cloak tucked between your, your belt because that very next morning they would be fleeing Egypt. They would be, just be ready to go. And so he didn't want them having a lot to, be, to have to clean up. They just needed to be ready. 
where this Passover became an event that they commemorated year after year. He told them to have this feast every year. Let's um, jump down to verse 17. We'll read on a little bit. The Lord said, Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. So it wasn't just a one-day thing. From the 14th to the 21st, they were to have this feast for seven days. No yeast is to be found in your house, and whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel, whether he is alien or native-born. Eat nothing made without, with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. And, Moses, and then they went in. Slaughtered the, or took the took the lambs and slaughtered them for the Passover. But that's so. God established this as an ongoing ordinance, and you can imagine there are there are times in Israel's history where it seems that they forgot about this, but then they reestablished it. But it was an annual reminder of them that God passed over them, that He rescued them, He saved them. And they ate, they ate the meal, they, did, they ate with unleavened bread, just as he told them to, to commemorate that fleeing from Egypt. But it also continued to sacrifice that lamb and remember the blood covering over their sin. So you can imagine when John said the lamb of God about Jesus that might have triggered in them this memory of the Passover. And in fact, when we talk about Jesus' final meal, the Passover meal with his, with his disciples, that was the moment where Jesus was pointing to himself as the ultimate Lamb of God. He, was, he is the Passover Lamb for all of mankind. The perfect sacrifice. They were to take an unblemished lamb, but an animal is never perfect. Only Jesus. Is that what, that's what we sang this morning, right? Only the blood of Jesus is good enough, is perfect enough to cover over all the sin of all mankind. And so John was communicating that this is the Passover lamb. This is the one. And the Israelites ought to have remembered that. And we can see how God, from even back when he established the kingdom of Israel, was already giving us a signal of the kind of salvation that he would be providing. It's important, I think, for us to see how Jesus and what he did and why he did it is linked back to what God was communicating all the way back in time. God knew then that he would be sending his son. One day, at the perfect time, he would come to give up his life for all mankind. So this is who John the Baptist was pointing to. And there's one more Old Testament link to the Lamb of God that I wanted to highlight today that may have come to mind when John spoke those words, look, the Lamb of God. And this one goes even further back, before even the establishment of the kingdom of Israel, back to Genesis chapter 22, when God was speaking to a man named, that he called Abraham. So 
just as a, as a background, as you're turning to Genesis 22, we read further back in Genesis 12 that God chose this man named Abram to make an agreement with and a covenant. He said, I will be your God and I will make you a great kingdom. Genesis 12, 2 and 3 says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse whoever curses you. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That's an important statement. All the people of the blessed will, people of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. So even here, we're going to see how God was making his promise to all mankind through Abraham. And you probably know the, the account of this. Abraham and his wife, Sarai, were to have a son through whom this nation would arise. At the time of this promise, Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old. And it wasn't until he was 100 years old that they had their son, Isaac. We read about that in Genesis 21. And then we get to Genesis 22. And there's this, this moment that seems so strange that I don't, I've wrestled with this. What was God doing here? God decided to test Abraham. This is what it says right in the beginning of Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will tell you about. And early that morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do nothing or do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear the Lord because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket was a ram caught by the horns. He went and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on this mountain, the Lord will be, or on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And this seems like such a strange way to test Abraham to me. We know that God was opposed to child sacrifice, and yet here, and, and here he's telling Abraham to sacrifice his son. He's, and we don't know exactly what was going through Abraham's mind. He says here that the Lord would provide a sacrifice. Maybe he knew. Maybe he just trusted God so much that he knew 
God promised that he would become a great nation through his son Isaac. So clearly, God is not going to have him go through with this. He would provide some way. And maybe that, that's just an example of how deep Abraham's faith is. And we know that God was testing that faith. And so maybe the story is here is an ex- it's just to remind us of how faithful Abraham was to God. But when we see Jesus, and we see what he did, and we look back now knowing that Jesus came as the Lamb of God. He came as the only Son of God to offer up his life for us. That he carried the cross on his back in the same way that Isaac carried the wood on his back. Going up to the sacrifice, you see that maybe God was communicating something else. Maybe the reason this story is in the Bible is to communicate to all people, this is the kind of sacrifice that I'm going to make for you. We can relate to how difficult it would be to sacrifice your own child. And that's exactly what the Lord did for us. Because we can see it in those human terms, because we can recognize how how difficult that would be, what a great loss that would be, we can maybe relate to what lengths the Lord went to for our sake. It's such a terrible thing to have to do, and yet God knew that this is what it would take to provide forgiveness for sin, that he would have to give up his own son, that he would have to take on the sins of all, that he would be given up as a sacrificial offering for all people. And so God was communicating that to us even back in the beginning, in the book of Genesis. The entire world would be blessed through Abraham because of the sacrifice that Jesus would eventually make. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I share all this today, and I have us reflect on this, even though it may be familiar to us, in part just to to share how God's interactions with mankind point to Jesus all the way back to the beginning. It's good for us to see, knowing that Jesus came and what he did, to see how he is present throughout the entire Bible. You can find glimpses of him. You can find God pointing us to him all throughout, all the way back to the book of Genesis. So God is consistent throughout time. He came to fulfill God's plans I also share this today just for us to dwell more deeply in the richness of God's love, to really consider not only the extent of the sacrifice that he made for us, but the fact that he has demonstrated this kind of love and grace from the beginning, from the moment that Adam and Eve first sinned against God. God has been preparing for this moment when Jesus would come and give up his life for us. He never abandoned mankind. He never turned away. He never stopped having grace and forgiveness. He had this restoration plan in time. And you think about all that God endured, this sinfulness of mankind that he endured throughout all those generations. It just makes you think and be even more grateful to the Lord for the love that he bestows on us in spite of our sin. He has not given up on us. No matter how far away we've turned from him, no matter how many times we've failed, God has never, ever given up on 
us. And he never will. He has given us his son, his only son, as a lamb to be slaughtered for our sake. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I pray that those words would just rest in our hearts and minds today. What a wonderful gift this is. What a life-changing gift it is for us and for anyone else in our lives who may need to hear that message, may need to know of that, that grace that God has, that we could pray for them, that we could reach out to them, that we could ask God to allow us in some way to communicate that love and grace to them. May our hearts be more full today because of what God has done and more determined to live in the love of God and to share that love wherever we go. Let's give thanks to the Lord, to the Lamb of God, and the difference that he has made in our lives. And then we'll celebrate with one more song today. Heavenly Father, we do love you, and we give you thanks for the new life that we have in Christ. We thank you for your your eternal love, this love that has lasted throughout all generations, this grace that you continue to pour out for the plan that you have had to restore all of mankind, to change us forever. I do pray that you would continue to work in each of our lives, Lord, to help us to know you, to live in in the identity that you give us, Lord, through your son Jesus. We do pray for more and more people around us to to have their eyes opened to this incredible grace that you show. The life-changing gospel of your Son, the Lamb of God. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.